The Q Affair. Part two, the Q Woo. While some similarities to living people may exist in your mind on reading this novel, it is a work of fiction. So it's your problem if you have people like this in your life. Chapter 11. Every so often, Q would return to the subject of the new emails. Could I see now that it was him? Did I have faith in him yet? The first email was still confusing to me, as I didn't really understand why anyone would send it to Desiree, or why Q would spend time with me, or how it proved in any way that the person I was speaking to was the person addressed in the email. Even Desiree had abandoned the idea that her Mancino lawyer was Q, in favour of a new theory that her nemesis, or the guy that worked for her nemesis, Bob Coventry, was Q. This made Jay, Q, even more irritated than I did. It seemed Q liked being undercover, but not so much that Desiree mistook him for Bob. But is that not good? I ventured. Does that not keep you undercover well with the confusion and all? No, apparently it was not, but he didn't explain why. Desiree somehow managed to persuade two other YouTubers to look at the emails when she received a new bunch of them, and she sent Fandango, the computer whiz genius and puzzle solver extraordinaire, the whole thread. Fandango and the investigator lift the curtain, took a look at it for her, with Fandango helpfully packaging them all up in an online Dropbox link so that the lift of curtain guy could examine them all together, investigating them as part of one of his shows, as All Rock Together had done with the first one. Maybe I'd understand it all better this time too if I listened better and pretended to myself it was interesting. A fog of boredom still tended to descend on me when anything Q was mentioned that reminded me of my school days when I'd experienced the same thing whenever maths class came around. I just felt it was one of those things I'd never understand. Again, it was all high excitement for her and she was enthroned in chat on Lift the Curtain's show though not being made as much fuss of in the busier chat as she had been in Fandango's chat, where she went more regularly too, liking him more. She took her seat and greeted people by telling them the emails to be discussed were the ones sent to her by Q and Cross. Those in chat weren't all familiar with her channel, and there was a preamble to explain the sequence of events, the first email, then All Rock Together's show, of which a clip was played, to show the first email and discuss it, then the newer emails were shown. I noticed none were exactly hot off Cross's outbox, being dated about a month before, but they were a bit more informative than the first one in that we could see who was talking to who, and an extra person was included in the chain of emails. None of these were directly sent to Desiree, but were blind carbon copies. Now, whatever Fandango had done to them, we could see the address lines clearly, 
and metadata that showed IP addresses and other information about dates and times, etc. The cross ones were all sent to Q, whose full address on the address line was a string of numbers followed by an AOL email address. Jay had sometimes signed himself off as Jay with the Q, and sometimes just Q. The other few emails that had been forwarded to Desiree via Cross's hacked email address, which we could all see displayed on the address line, were to someone who Jay was talking to, calling herself Cora. As far as I could make out, this Cora was a religious nut of some type, as the conversation was an inane one about a book about Jesus being a carpenter. Jay seemed to find this conversation highly entertaining, however, perhaps because Cora appeared to be his biggest fan and assured him he didn't have to do much to persuade her he was Q because they were such friends and she trusted him deeply because she'd felt they'd all this Jesus connection in common. One thing at least that I was starting to get clear on was that the email address that Q used with the string of numbers led to a very old puzzle on the internet called Stone Age. It had eventually become known in YouTube and on puzzle forums as unsolvable because, well, just because it had never been solved. I suppose it was worse than not getting the last clue in the Times crossword if you'd spent more time on it but never having worked on solving that kind of puzzle myself or being on a team of solvers as some YouTubes were, it seemed, while working on puzzles like the Liber Locust one on Fandango's channel, I wouldn't know how irritating that was personally. With crosswords, they tended to be forgotten pretty quickly as you moved on to the next one. Mind you, they always gave you the solution to the previous one so you could move on the next day. We humans just don't like to be left wondering, I guess. The whole thing stank to heavens to me, though, that second email chain, because it came across as so fawning and adoring of him, for no other reason but a Jesus book. And it played on my mind that he'd said he wasn't on social media, and here he was emailing all sorts of people in a very chatty and not very undercover way, about being Q. Quite aside from the fact he was spending his evenings on Twitter chatting to me. But I said nothing later to him about my reservations when he asked what I thought of the show when we were alone in the DM window. I was expected to take an interest though. So I asked, why did he think any hacker would think Desiree would be interested in the Cora and Jay emails. Was the book some secret code from Q or what? I think I was mildly jeering him at this point, but didn't fancy getting him annoyed with me right at the start of what could still be quite a pleasant evening. Jay explained to me that the Cora lady was someone he'd struck up an email correspondence with and had become friendly with in a platonic way. He enjoyed her company because she was a genius IQ and he liked talking to super intelligent people. Yes, dear, I responded, you're here with me, so clearly that's quite true. We laughed and the rest of the evening was pleasant if I remember properly.
even if he hadn't answered my question. He'd enjoyed getting his emails discussed, I thought, and was recovering very fast indeed from the whole unpleasantness, it seemed, as well, of having your personal EQ emails revealed for all the truth community to see, and your top secret op in danger of being revealed. I mentioned the emails laughingly on my next live stream and was soon almost sorry I had. Lift the curtain had made the awful faux pas of calling Desiree Cora by mistake on his live stream, getting her momentarily mixed up with the Cora Jesus book person that Q was writing to. The Truth Fleet live stream that followed the next night was not unlike the All Rock Together critique she'd done with similar levels of rage reached as she berated him for being a gay who couldn't do anything right. Did you know, she screamed into her phone screen, having long since broken her purple laptop when it slid off her lap to the floor in a similar rage, and having since then to display a PayPal and a GoFundMe link beneath videos to encourage viewers to donate money for a new one. Did you know he lives in his dad's basement? Yes. Pause. Sneering face. Sneering face. Yes. One wondered, would that host's phone be off the hook tonight as well? Or was he well used to trolls calling him and just thinking, oh, well, this is my life now. Indeed, that poor guy struck me as something of a martyr as he was constantly getting accused of all kinds of mental illnesses, such as schizophrenia, bipolar depression, multiple personality disorder, and anything else the phone and chat trolls could think up. She had a way of saying her insults, though, that nobody could beat for sheer hate. It chilled you. I felt terribly sorry for him, as he seemed like such a nice, calm fella, and he had a cat, a real one on his channel that slept on an elevated platform bed in the background of the basement, as well as his soft brown eyes, which all the viewers loved. The cat, I mean. I don't know if everyone liked the eyes. The Cora person turned up in my comment section to berate me almost immediately after the live stream where I'd mentioned the emails jokingly. She was hopping mad and went straight to threatening to sue me since she was a very private person, and here I was invading her privacy. How very dare I, and if I ever mentioned her again, I would find myself in court immediately. The comment seemed to go on forever, but a lot of it was about her genius IQ, and bizarrely, her father. She wasn't very precious about her father's privacy, I gathered, as she'd got a lot of biographical stuff in there that seemed to have no relevance to anything except something he'd said about her genius. And she rounded off the whole insane thing with something about the major inconvenience I was putting her to, as she didn't have a computer and was at the library posting her comment. This was comedy gold right here. So mad that I did wonder if she were real. Feeling the library touch did put the seal of madness on it, as that's the preferred spot I'd found from when I'd used libraries a lot myself, where mad people were sure to do their internetting from, 
pacing up and down between the rows of computers before stalking back to watch the end of a video they were conversing with in place of real humans to interact with. I imagine it was this genius that Jay and Cora had in common, which started them writing to each other. He told me how the NSA had recruited him at a very young age when they realised he was a genius at encryption codes, which he liked breaking as a hobby to keep his mind busy. I see, I said when he told me. I don't like my first introduction to anyone to be a threat, so I told the woman to push off and take her big IQ with her then screenshot her comments and mine, as I was learning to do now, since I got accused of saying things I hadn't said so frequently that I thought it might be wise to keep screenshots of anything weird that happened. I found it weird, to say the least, that she turned up so quickly to watch my live stream. Jay turned up quickly too, annoyed at my treatment of his friend and comments, and my mentioning the email. Why weren't you or your friend annoyed with anyone else for mentioning her? Only me, I asked, and thought of the oddness that he and Cora shared the same grammatical tick of saying where instead of was in sentences when speaking of him, herself, in the present tense. Wondering what the odds was, as it were, of that being a coincidence. He diverted the topic to something else, and the rest of the evening was a delight, as the annoying episode was forgotten, and we got into our usual good humour, happy to be in one another's company again, for a chat on the virtual couch about how the world could be made a better place, or what was pretty nice about it already, loving someone being one on the latter list. While Fandango had escaped Desiree's wrath by just having been the one to pass the information along to viewers, he seemed to be having problems with the puzzle on his channel. He was very upset about it. While live streaming from a rave style gig he'd gone to, sitting inside a tent, lit up by the afternoon sun, his mood didn't match the rest of the sunny atmosphere. Terence had fired him from the puzzle solving. What? Terence? The Terence of the smug company over on Phony Wars. I'd had no idea he had anything to do with the puzzle, but he was Fandango's boss, he was telling us now, that had hired him to solve it on his channel. I wondered if everyone else knew this already, and I didn't, being a mere girl who wouldn't grasp even the simplest things. No wonder Terence was such a smug guy who thought he was pretty special. He'd created this big puzzle, according to Fandango, not just the music for it, being a composer with his own YouTube channel. Some of the subs seemed to know about the music already, but not about Terence or Fandango's working together to create the puzzle. They had thought, largely due to Fandango telling them, that the mysterious puzzle had just turned up on the internet years ago with new videos around it and new clues coming out every year. And still, it was so fiendishly clever, the finest minds hadn't solved the entire thing yet. 
Fandango told us now, in a big revelation, born perhaps out of annoyance at not getting paid, instead getting fired halfway through the year's puzzle, how he'd been part of creating this year's part of the puzzle himself, in fact, along with Terence, and that there had been a team of super intelligent puzzle people involved. So it was particularly unfair, this bit expressed in far more colourful language than mine, that he was getting fired right now. All these bad vibes, just when he was enjoying being at the music festival and all. Yeah, bummer man, etc. from the comment section. All I could think was, wait, you? Design the puzzle with him. Thinking of the difficulties he'd had, reading out the clues or pronouncing words in the research materials he found on Wikipedia pages to help him solve them. Which bits were left to solve, if you have the clues, was my next thought. You see the logic, I hope. Maybe you don't need a super-duper, ever-growing IQ to see that if the solving wasn't real, then it was just pretend for entertaining the audience. I'd liked the puzzle, though, and although I hadn't tuned in every time he'd been solving, since he interspersed the solving shows with gaming streams, so I never knew when they'd be on, I'd be sorry to see them go. The money bit was what Fandango would miss most, and he was, according to himself, missing most of the money he was owed, including the projected future earnings he assumed he would have made had he not been fired. But the betrayal, too, he said, was just awful. I knew how he felt. I'd had jobs where someone would fire me with no notice, just so they could give the rest of the job to a relative or whoever I'd been filling in for, doing temp work, until they returned. And it was never fun getting dumped suddenly. This one involved unpaid money, though. Oh, dear. You'll never get that without something to hold back that he needs, I thought. They never pay money for work done unless you withhold something until payments complete when you freelance. People are shits in business and then angels back at home when bouncing their baby or playing bridge with the wifey and friends, thinking that morals just don't come into business things. Perhaps he should have held on to the Holy Lance, in fact, as collateral, or for a good luck charm until the promised payday, as the lance that he claimed was the very same lance that had pierced the side of Jesus at the crucifixion was the big puzzle prize he'd flashed on his channel earlier in the year to enthuse people about solving. Not that they weren't enthused enough, with the idea that the CIA or NSA would want to recruit them once they proved they had the genius level solving skills required. Unfortunately, he'd given the lance back to Terence after waving it about on his show briefly at the start of the puzzle. The business disaster with Terence brought up a lot of new ideas for me since I'd been wondering if a few of the ideas in the puzzle might not have something to do with Discordian topics, as the monograph videos seem to have. The imagery and references were around the same areas of mythology, something YouTubers weren't going to be terribly well up on, 
most not having a background in the fine arts or any of the related disciplines, even if they liked the evocative and mysterious references in the puzzles. I just couldn't see Fandango doing any design of the puzzle or reading up on mythology outside of the fake solving sessions on his live streams. But I was interested in Terence now and his role in it. There was the other fact that now seemed relevant. Q had said in a short-lived fit of pique after the Cora incident that I was down the wrong rabbit hole entirely with the Discordian blog topic if I was wanting to know about Q. I thought that strange at the time, since I wasn't really connecting Q and the Discordians back then, not having much interest in Q. Suddenly I wondered, are they all connected? Thinking of the rabbit clue in the Q puzzle, picturing Desiree claiming, I've solved it in excitement on one of her videos, in reference to a Q clue that she'd never revealed an answer to. Is Q Terence? Is this Terence sitting in here with me, playing nice, but being annoyed I turned him down in his keenness for me to join with him to LARP Desiree? Was this all a ploy to pay me back for this supposedly wrong rabbit hole I was down and for writing about the secret fight club that the Discordians didn't want spoken of, let alone blogged about? Might that, in fact, be the very burrow where the pesky wabbit Q was digging in, hoping to keep me from someday giving the whole game away? by feeding me disinfo to confuse and distract me. Suddenly, Q took on a whole new interest for me.